0: Thanks for joining us online today. If you'd like to join the conversation, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We hope that you'll enjoy this message. Church, welcome to all of you who are participating online, all of you who are at all of our plantation campus services all weekend, our gateway campus, welcome to every single one of you. This is part three of our Key to Everything series based on this concept, this big idea of teachability, the willingness to be teachable in our life, we truly do believe, is the key to reaching our full God-given potential. We find that all throughout the pages of Scripture, the Bible, but we also find that throughout the pages of the book that I just wrote called The Key to Everything, and man, it's been so much fun to hear so many stories of, of how God is using this book, and so many of you who are taking your family through it, and you got copies for your kids, and you're like, I'll pay you 20 bucks if you read it, like, whatever it takes. So many of you taking your teams at work through it, or or uh, maybe, you know, like a small group here at church, whatever, man, I love it. I love hearing the feedback, love hearing the reviews, and how, how different pieces of it are really connecting with you. So that's amazing, and how you're getting the most out of this series, because you're reading the book at the same time. Well, uh, this is part three of the series, and last weekend, uh, in all of our services, we talked about success, and this weekend, I'm going to be talking about failure. Woo! Oh, I know, like, right, like, we are all so excited, oh, yes, I was hoping you would talk about failure, said nobody ever, but here's the thing, failure is inevitable in life, isn't it? Like every one of us will go through moments in time where we mess up, where we miss the mark, where, where we drop and fumble the ball, where we, where, we, where we fail. Failure seasons are inevitable in all of our lives. About 15 or 16 years ago, I was, gosh, I was probably 25 Uh, when all of this happened. And I was working for a ministry up north, a fellowship of churches and uh, as the national youth director. And so several times a year, we would host, you know, youth events. And we do it at a campground. Sometimes we do it at, uh, you know, at hotels or conference centers, you know, at other times. And so we got this idea for this big summer event. And so Sarah and I went to Indianapolis and we found this amazing hotel right downtown Indianapolis, Indiana. And so uh, we went in, we toured the whole deal, you know, and we really thought, man, we can get 300 students here like this is going to be incredible, and we just knew our network of churches and so forth. And so, uh, so we looked at it, you know, we priced out the food for the week. We priced out the rooms, the, you know, and then the ball rental, ballroom rental and the whole deal, right? And so uh, we signed on the contract. And if you've ever done this, you know what it takes. Like, it's like, it's like a 20-page document. You initial at the bottom of every page. You sign 14 times. You know, you give blood. Like, it's, like it's that kind of a deal. So we signed on the dotted line for this big event. And so then we got back, and we started calling all of our youth pastor friends, and we're like, hey, this is going to happen. We're doing this amazing. It's going to be crazy this summer. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And one by one by one, they started telling us that they weren't going to be coming this year. I'm like, yeah, but you've been there for like the last 17 million years. (laughs) Like, where are you at? And one by one, they all started telling us that, this year, their schedule had changed, or they were going to go somewhere else, and so suddenly, what was 300 students became 200 students, that became 120 students, that became 50 or so students, and it suddenly began to be clear that Sarah and I were not going to be able to pull this event off. So I, I called at the, the hotel. I'm like, "Hey, yeah, this, you know, this is Matt Keller, and you know that, yeah, about that thing." It turns out we're, we're actually not going to need the hotel. So you can release the space and rent it out to somebody else. And the guy must have known I was only 25 because he goes, sir, are you looking at the contract? I don't even think he called me sir. I think he called me Matt. <laughs> Matt, are you looking, <laughs> son, you looking at the contract? And he goes, see how, it, 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 he actually said this. See how at the bottom of every page there's, those, there's your initials right down there? That means you're on the hook. So whether you have the event or not, you owe us $85,000. I was making like $30,000 a year as my salary at the time. I'm in trouble. And you guys, I had to, I get sweaty just thinking about I'm like, this is awful. My stomach's upset. This is horrible. Just thinking about it. And I remember as a 25-year-old guy having to go in and sit down with my boss and explain to him that this event wasn't going to happen. That we had tried and we worked and we had failed, and it was a failure. It was a failure. It was a failed event. It was, it was an $85,000 failure, and see, here's the thing. Maybe your failure wasn't an $85,000 failure like mine. Maybe your failure was a marriage. Maybe your failure was a, a Friendship, a relationship somewhere. Maybe your your failure was a promotion somewhere along the way that didn't happen because you missed it and you didn't hit the numbers and you missed the goal and expectations weren't met. Maybe your failure was with a child or with a parent. I don't know. Maybe it was financial. Maybe it was was with the the economy. I don't know. But here's what I do know: I know that failure is an inevitability in our lives. And if you and I don't figure out how to be teachable in the midst of failure, then we will never reach our God-given potential. And what's true for every single one of us is also true for some of the greatest leaders in the pages of the Bible as well. And so this weekend, I want to take us to the book of Luke, chapter 22. And I want us to look at a guy named Peter who was one of the closest disciples to Jesus. During Jesus' earthly ministry, there were three guys that were kind of his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And Peter, was he was he was that close to Jesus. And, and during the, the final hours of Jesus' life, when he's been arrested in the garden and they're taking him from this all these illegal trials through the night in front of the high priest and the whole deal, when Jesus needed Peter the most, Peter was... Nowhere to be found. Well, actually, he was somewhere to be found physically. But relationally, he was a million miles away from Jesus. Let's look closer at the story. Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 54, it says this. Then they seized him, speaking of Jesus, and they led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. Peter, look at this part, followed at a distance when they had kindled a fire in the middle of a courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. So Jesus is at the high priest's house and a short distance away. Some people gather together and they build this fire and they're standing around warming themselves by the fire. And so Peter joins them. Verse 56, then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, looking closely at him said, aren't you, you've been with Jesus, right? Like you know Jesus, like you're one of them. Look what he says, verse 57. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you're also one of the, you're, you're a disciple of Jesus. I know you're a disciple of Jesus. But Peter said, man, I'm not. Verse 59, and after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with them. For, for You're from the same hometown, right? You're from Galilee too, right? Like you guys grew up like, You know, like, you know, Jesus, look at verse 60, but Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. Some translations tell us that in this verse right here, Peter actually swore at the man. Like he's so indignant. He does not want to be identified with Jesus that he's, he's, I don't like, that's what he's saying. And immediately look what it says. While he was still speaking the rooster crowed. Now, why is that significant? Because Jesus had predicted earlier in the night that Peter would turn his back and betray Jesus. And he told Peter that the indicator would be that uh, he would hear a rooster crow after he betrayed him. And so sure enough, Peter denies Jesus three times and then he hears this rooster crow, verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked. So he's close enough that Jesus can see Peter and Peter can see Jesus. And he looked at Peter And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And then look at verse 62. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Talk about failure. Talk about, okay, okay. It's one thing to fail your boss, right? It's one thing to to not come good on a contract. It's one thing to fail financially. It's one thing to even fail your family. My man failed the son of God. Like that's so big, so big. If anybody understood failure, it was Peter, In Next Level Church, here's what I want us to understand this weekend. The reason why failure is such a big deal, first of all, is because failure shakes our confidence. Failure shakes our confidence. See, there's a momentum to success that doesn't exist when we fail, isn't there? Like like teams on a winning streak have this swagger and this confidence to them that losing teams don't have, don't they? Like, that's why sportscasters will talk often about, you know, well, this team, I hope they peak at the right time when they get close to the playoffs. And, uh-oh, this team, I th- I'm afraid they've peaked too soon. What are they talking about? They're talking about the momentum of success. That there's a, there's a confidence that comes on us when we're in the midst of a winning streak, when we're in the midst of success. And what's true in sports is true in life as well. that there's a, there's a confidence that comes that when we start to lose When things don't go our way, when we fail, it shakes our confidence. See, the reason why failure is such a big deal, number one, is because it shakes our confidence. Number two, is because it reveals our true selves. Failure reveals our true selves. Failure has a way of removing all of the masks that we try and keep up in our life, doesn't it? Like, when things are going great in our life, we can... (laughs) we can pretty much get people to believe anything they want about us, right? When, 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 when things are going great in our life, we look better than we are. But when the wheel starts to come off of our life and we go through a moment or a season of failure, it reveals who we truly are. All of the masks come up. So let me illustrate this. Because the person I want to show you is is someone who has experienced great success and failure. So I think we actually have a couple of pictures. Let me show you those pictures real quick, okay? This is the famous Justin Bieber. Pause for reaction. Go ahead. Uh Uh-huh, okay. But there's two pictures here, okay? So the one picture is of Justin Bieber at the height of his success receiving yet another award, like being honored, being on the top of the mountain. The other picture is Bieber's mugshot when he got arrested for a DUI. Isn't it interesting, the expression on his face? Isn't it interesting to parallel the two pictures side by side? But let me pause for just a second before we all rush to judgment of Justin Bieber. Before we rush to point out the speck in his eye, maybe we should pause and acknowledge the plank in our own. Let me say this. I'm, I'm actually a bit of a Justin Bieber fan. You can tell by the hair. <laughs> baby, 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 oh. <laughs> I couldn't keep a straight face. I tried. I tried. Okay, so, so, so before we go rush into Justin Bieber and whatever you think about him is your deal. Here's the deal. When we're on a winning streak, when success is happening in our life, it's easy, isn't it? To get people to believe what we want them to believe about us. But when failure happens in our life, when we go through a season or a moment of failure in our life, all of a sudden, all of the masks that we keep up in front of our world and in front of others come crashing down, and our true self is revealed. See, the reason why failure is such a big deal is because it shakes our confidence, because it reveals our true self. And number three, the reason why it's such a big deal is because it causes us to question everything. Success is an anesthetic, isn't it? Think about it. Success isn't anesthetic. It anesthetizes us. What a great word. Anesthetize. Like, there are actually people who are anesthesiologists. Like, if you're an anesthesiologist, two things. One, come talk to me because I think that's cool. Like, you get to give people drugs for a living, legally. Like, that's awesome. Like, way to go. Like, you did it, man. I pump you full of drugs and then you fall asleep. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. What a job. So many thoughts. I'm filtering right now. Success is an anesthetic. I looked up the definition of the word anesthetic. Here's what it is. Look, a substance that induces insensitivity to pain. A substance that induces insensitivity to pain. That's success, isn't it? Like like when we're winning, when, when we're successful in our life, it doesn't hurt as bad, right? What's the old saying? It always hurts more when you lose. Why? Because it hurts more when you lose. Because success anesthetizes us. It causes the pain not to hurt so bad. But when failure hits our life, suddenly we question everything. Not just of others around us or even of ourselves. We start questioning God. God. We walk through a season of failure and we go, God, where were you? God, where are you? God, did I miss you? God, did I miss your will? God, God, have I not? Like, God, what's happening? And see, that's why failure is such a big deal in our life. And see, Peter understood that when Peter failed Jesus that night, he experienced all three of these things. He lost his confidence. He came face to face with his true self and the pain of his failure caused him to question everything to the point that Peter actually left the ministry. The Bible tells us that after he denied Christ on that night before the crucifixion, the Bible actually tells us that Peter left the ministry and he went back to fishing, that the guilt and shame of his failure was too much, it was overwhelming, and he questioned the whole thing and he threw in the towel. See, that's why failure is such an important thing for us to deal with because failure always brings us to a choice. And that choice is teachability. When failure inevitably hits our life, will we be teachable or will we not? And that's why we've got to talk about this. That's why we've got to deal with this. That's why we can't just gloss over failure in our life, because failure always brings with it a choice, the choice of teachability. So what do we do? What about us? What do we do? If failure is an inevitability in our life, Matt, then what do we do? How, how, do, we, how do we make the most of Of failure, If it's true that failure is inevitable for our life, if it was true for Peter, if it was true for me as a 25-year-old with an $85,000 contract, if it's true for Justin Bieber, then what do we do? How do we do that? Well, I would love for you to write down three thoughts on what we do with failure, how you and I get the most out of the failure moments, the failure seasons of our life. Here's the first thing I would say. How do we get the most out of it? Number one, we have to turn the spotlight on ourselves. We have to turn the spotlight on ourselves. In other words, we have to stop blaming. So often we're so busy in failure moments blaming everyone else and dodging responsibility that we, we couldn't learn anything if we tried. If you and I had been Peter that night around the fire, and we failed jesus we would have been blaming everybody right like we would have been blaming the girl who's accusing her well she's a punk and if she would have gotten a job instead of being a loser standing around a fire late at night right we'd be blaming the roman centurions well if the guards hadn't and they wouldn't have we'd have been blaming jesus well jesus if you would have, if you wouldn't have let them arrest you in the garden then i never would have denied you right like we'd have been blaming everybody Peter could have done that, but he didn't. He didn't. But isn't that our human nature? I could have done that. When I signed that $85,000 contract, I could have blamed the hotel and went, well, there's stupid policies and you're initialed. I could have blamed them. I could have blamed the youth pastors who decided not to bring their students to my event. I could have blamed my boss, but I didn't. I didn't. Why? Because dodging responsibility and blaming others is never where our preferred future lives. And if you and I are going to get the most out of failure, then at some point we're going to have to stop blaming. Yeah, but Matt, you don't understand. The economy crashed, and so I had to. I know, I get it. Yeah, but Matt, you don't understand. She said this, and then she filed this, and so if she wouldn't have, then I wouldn't have had. I know. I got it but as a pastor, as a voice of influence that so many of you have given permission to speak into your life, can I challenge you for a moment this weekend? How long? How long are you going to keep blaming everybody else? How long are you going to keep blaming circumstances? How long are you going to keep blaming others or your boss or your spouse or your coworkers or your kids or your parents? How long? See, we will never get to God's full potential for our life as long as we are blaming everybody else. How do we get the most out of our failure, Next Level Church? We do that when we stop pointing the finger at others and we say, God, turn the spotlight on me. Even if it wasn't your fault, I would contend that there's still something to learn in the midst of a failure season whether you happened to it or it happened to you how do we get the most out of a failure season in our life number one we have to stop blaming others number two we must refuse to rush past it we have to refuse to rush past it see as humans when we fail we we do everything we possibly can don't we to try and minimize it and get past it, get around it as quickly as you possibly can. And this is true from the youngest of age, right? Like toddlers, like kids, like grade school, like elementary age kids, right? Like when they get in trouble, when they get busted, when something happens, when they make a mistake or they fail and the teacher or a parent calls them on it, what's the first thing they do? Well, he made me do it. What was his idea? Well, she said, she let me look up her test. Well, they, well they, 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 right, they blame and then what's the second thing they do? Okay, you're right. I'm sorry. Let's just move on. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Right? Like every elementary kid, that's what they do. Like they go, oh, but I don't know. Okay, that's enough. I don't want to talk about it. Okay, right? Why? That's what they do. We blame and then we rush. That's what we do. Why? Because that's human nature and failure. But listen, if we're going to have a lifestyle of teachability, if we're going to reach our full potential that God created us to become, it will only happen when we slow down in the midst of failure. And instead of blaming everybody else and trying to skirt around it and minimize it, instead, what if we stopped and said, what can I learn? And it's hard, it's painful, I get it, it's uncomfortable, it's awkward, it's horrible. But I would contend it's the only way to truly make the most of the failure moments, the failure seasons of our life. In the book, in the failure chapter, I actually... I make this statement, page 128, I write, some of life's greatest lessons are on sale to us in the midst of our failures. Some of life's greatest lessons are on sale to us in the midst of our failures. In other words, some of the things, the most valuable lessons, the most priceless, the most valuable lessons that we could ever learn in life will never be less expensive to us then in a failure season. The problem is most of us are so busy running past, trying to brush over and gloss over and move past and minimize and no, it wasn't my fault, and it was everything again. It was out of control. Let's just move on. We're so busy that we're, that we're forfeiting some of life's greatest lessons. Ed Catmull, who is the president of Pixar Studios, who is, of course, famous for making incredible animated films like Toy Story and the upcoming Star Wars 7 movie. What up? Okay, by the way, if you are one of those people who, like, stood in line and got, like, the pre, you know, the opening night tickets, I'm buying popcorn. I'm in. Let me know. Let me know. I'm in. Okay, so Pixar, so so in his book, Ed Catmull wrote a book called Creativity Inc. And in this book, he actually makes this statement. He says, to be wrong as fast as you can is to sign up for aggressive, rapid learning. My goodness. See, in the book, Ed talks about how every Pixar movie always starts out in its first draft, horrible. He's like, we just know it. Like we know every story, every movie that we want to create always starts out really, really bad. So what we decided is to not just rush past it or minimize that, but instead stop in the middle of it and get as many smart people as we can in the room and go, why is it so bad? Why did this happen? Let's figure this out. How do we make it better? How do we tweak this? How do we change this? How do we add to this? How do we add this scene? How do we add this character? How do we add this plot line? That's how they make great movies not by rushing past failure, but by stopping in the middle of it and saying, what can we learn? How do we get better? Okay. If Pixar's movie studios can do that, what if we started to do that? Imagine what could happen in our lives, you guys. If the next time you and your spouse got into a disagreement, maybe afterward you sat down for a few minutes and you said, hey, Let's talk about how we were while we were arguing that out, while we were trying to figure that out. What could we do better? What if instead of trying to minimize and skirt past a failure it work, what if instead you set, a meet, set up a meeting for next week for 20 minutes with your boss and you came in and said, hey, three ways that I could approach that differently next time. Three things I could do better on that. Three ways that I could make a, a, a difference or communicate better. Man, imagine what our lives could look like if you and I, instead of rushing past our failures, would stop and say, what can I learn? Sign up for aggressive, rapid learning. I don't know about you, but I have a feeling that's exactly how we get to the life that we ultimately want to live. So how do we make the most of our failures? Number one, we have to turn the spotlight on ourselves and stop blaming. Number two, we can't rush past them. And number three, we must refuse to let failure define us. We have to refuse to let failure define us. One of the biggest dangers of failure to our teachability is that we let it permanently define us. Peter started to do that. Peter started to do that. He gave up the ministry. He gave up his destiny and his greater calling that God had on him, and he went back to fishing. And the Bible tells us this incredible redemption to the story. That's why I love this story so much, because Peter, after Jesus died on the cross and was buried, three days later, rose from the dead and started to make appearances around that region, and so after Jesus rose from the dead, Peter and some of the other disciples were out fishing one day. They had given up on the whole disciple thing, the apostle thing. And they went out fishing. And the Bible tells us in John 21 that Jesus came walking on the shore and as soon as the disciples and Peter recognized him, they started rowing toward the shore. But Peter was so overcome that he jumped out of the boat and started to swim because he just couldn't stand it. And he gets to shore and he and Jesus embrace And the disciples get there and they make breakfast by this fire and they they cook some fish. And look at verse 15. It says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. It's interesting, he calls him by his old name. Do you love me more than these? And look what Peter says Yes, Lord, Lord, yes. You know that I love you. You know that I do. I just can't get this image of this failure. Out of my head, I just can't get this picture of me turning my back on you when you needed me the most. Out of here. And look what Jesus says. Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Peter, feed my lambs. In other words, Peter, I haven't called you to fish I've called you to be a shepherd, a pastor to my people. Do that. Stop letting the failure define you because it's gonna hold you back. And I just can't help but think that some of us who are listening this weekend have let a failure in our past Define us, and it's holding us back. Listen, if I would have let that $85,000 mistake define me, our church probably wouldn't be here. Because it turns out we have just had to sign a whole lot of contracts over the last 15 years since that happened. We host a lot of big events. Advance one day would have never happened this church would have never happened. If I had to let that picture of failure stay in my mind, it would have kept me from taking the risks necessary to walk out God's best for my life. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna invite our worship teams to come back at all of our campuses and all of our services just right and to join me on stage right now. And we've created some space before we move on in our service this weekend, for you and I to connect with Jesus, because here's what I think. I think some of us are wrestling with some pictures of failure from our past that have held us back and are holding us in fear. They're they're gripping our heart. They're keeping, we, we are forfeiting our future because of failure from our past. And I just can't help but think that Jesus wants to break that off of so many of us this weekend. So as our worship teams are coming, let me pray for us. And I'm just going to invite you to do business with God. He's here this weekend, and he wants to show up and break some of those pictures of failure in the past off of us so that you and I can be free to move into the future he's called us to. God, thank you. Thank you that you use the inevitable seasons of failure that come to our lives for your good. And Lord, for so many of us, we look back like Peter at those moments of failure and God, it's held us in guilt, it's held us in shame, in regret, in remorse. But Lord, as of today, we just declare no more. So God, I pray you would come down, heal hearts this weekend, I ask. God, may this be a place of freedom where we can leave failure behind and step into all created us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If your life has been impacted through this ministry, we would love to hear your story. Send us an email to mystory at nextlevelchurch.com. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. Also, if you want to support what God is doing here, you can do so through our website, nextlevelchurch.com and help us bring you more messages just like this one every single week. Your generosity is making an impact here and around the world. Thanks for joining us online. Have a great week.